This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time to join me on today. And welcome, a very special welcome, as always, to those of you who are joining us for the first time. We're going to have a special edition. We're, we're continuing our series about the job world associated with UX, whether it's seeking jobs, managing teams, building teams whatever, anything related to finding a job in UX we want to address in this current series. And I'm going to take some time. I, I reached out to people on social media and I was asking people if they wouldn't mind providing and sharing questions or topics that they'd like to hear me cover. And so that's what this episode is dedicated to. Thanks to all of you. I got a boatload of topics to cover. I am going to go through them one by one in the order that I receive them. Because I receive so many, I am going to be somewhat brief when I cover my answers here, but I want to make sure you understand that as I go into it. And in the not too distant future, for some of these topics, we're going to take the time to expand on them. And and before I even get into it, I want to address this. This is a, a concern of mine, and so it's something I want to express to the community at large. When we provide answers to topics, when we cover topics, we don't really have the time to be exhaustive, especially I go on people's shows. Sometimes I go on people's podcasts. I, I engage in conversations with people and you provide some information that provides insights, provides clarity, provides some type of, of, of support and, and basic info with regard to the topic that's covered. Please know and understand that when we are providing an answer, it's not 100% exhaustive. We, we, there, there's, it's very seldom that it's possible to actually do that. The reason I say that is while we try to give enough of an answer so that people can do what it is that they need to do, you can get the answers you need to you need to have, you can take the action that you need to take. You don't have to know every single solitary thing about something in order to make those decisions. You don't have to know something, every nook and cranny of a thing in order to to be able to navigate what it is that you're doing. So for that reason, we provide enough, especially if I'm on a show 
Um, I, I go on Debbie Levitt show sometime, and and it'll be me, Debbie, Doctor Nick, fine, and and we'll be talking, and and I'll provide an answer because we're time boxing, and so we're addressing things. I'm responding to things in a way where I'm not only trying to provide some insights, but I'm also extending courtesy. It's not my show when I do that. And there are two other people that are waiting to give input about the exact same thing. So for that reason, please know and understand when we make a statement, please don't assume that I'm saying everything I know about that particular subject. Some people do. And then they think that if if a Debbie will say she'll add something on, Dr. Nick will add something on. And in some cases, some people think that what was presented was all inclusive, or they'll think that something that I provided because somebody else provides something else that's actually supplementary, and that's what we're actually doing when we do these shows, they think that the answer that was provided is incorrect. It's not incorrect, it's part of the whole. And so as we're addressing these topics, these questions today, because I do have to be concise, I'm going to give enough information that will allow you to navigate, but there's always something else that you can add to it that gives you an even clearer picture. I mean, think about it. You never stop learning, right? If we never stop learning, that means anytime that a topic is, is presented and you pick up other information three months down the line, six months down the line, a year down the line, three years down the line. It doesn't mean that the information that you got initially was incorrect. It doesn't mean that it was misguided. It doesn't mean that the person that told you that information was 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 giving you inaccurate information and nor did it take away or does it take away from what that person knows. So please remember that when you're in a Q&A scenario, when you're in a discussion, a person is presenting something, and if their information is accurate, great. If you find some more information about it, great. But it's it's inaccurate information that should be a problem. I, I saw a presentation recently where someone got up to do the talk, and they said that, you know, every company has a CXO, every company has a chief experience officer, and you need to be able to yada, 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 yada. And I'm thinking... No, very few companies have chief experience officers. And this person said it, and they were proud to say it, and they were had a very, a very confident tone to their voice, and what they said was completely inaccurate. The person also went on to say something, several things actually, about, about developers, and part of what they were talking about was developers processing data and analyzing data and things like this. That's not what developers do. Developers are programmers. They're engineers. They're the people who build things associated with the designs. They A lot of times, they don't even see any data. And the person went on to say that they were a developer, and I'm going, okay, this person is trying to plug developers while they're giving a talk. The talk is not about developers. It's not about how developers can get involved with design. The person just used to be a developer, wants to see developers get ahead, so his presentation became infused with bias, basically, and in a sense, uh, sort of ruining at least part of the presentation for a lot of people. So that's another example. That's a post that I put out on social media, and 
people were waiting for me to be exhaustive on the topic. I don't understand how that's biased. Well, because I didn't spend time breaking the whole thing down. So please know and understand when we when we say things, think about who's saying it, think about the background, think about the level of integrity that the person has been presenting information with. And those types of things help us to, to sort of vet somebody out before we decide what we're going to do with the information that's provided. So anyway, a couple of tips, a couple of little side notes, something that I wanted to address before we get into the subject at hand. But let us dive in to the Q&A. And thanks again to everybody for sharing these questions. Ready? Let's get started. And again, remember, we're going to address these in the order that they were submitted. So the first one, I'm not going to give any names on any of these, by the way. Uh, I don't want anybody to be embarrassed or put on the spot or anything like that. But at any rate, the first one, someone says, do you have any recommended recruiters or recruiting agencies? I thought this was really interesting. And because this topic comes up every once in a while. And we're, we're speaking stateside. Let's Let's keep that in mind first. I'm not addressing this on a global. My answer is not going to be global. So sorry to those of you outside the country because the people that I'm about to mention may or may not be um, servicing the area in which you live. But I want to call out two recruiting agencies and I'll explain why. One of them is Tech Systems. I, I personally have had a relationship with Tech Systems dating all the way back to 1997. And uh, they have other names that they go by, Aerotech, Tech Systems, Allegis Group. They're all related, at least they were. Uh, maybe something has changed, but to my knowledge, uh, it's all still the same organization as a whole. They just operate under different names, different places. But what I like about Tech Systems is they do, they do things that some recruiters today don't do. Don't you hate it when you get a call and somebody say, I'm looking to speak to John. I'm looking to speak to Jane. And you'll let them know, oh, this is John. This is Jane. How are you doing today? It's a script. They always sound exactly the same. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing fine. And you, oh, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. You know, still going by the script. I have an opportunity, a great opportunity for whatever the job title is, are you interested? Isn't that ridiculous? They don't know, you don't know anything about the job. All they told you was a job title. They didn't tell you anything associated with the job. They have no idea whether or not you're qualified. They think you are because maybe they saw something. Although I think a lot of these people who do this are just calling you because some system made your name pop up because they did one of those lazy searches or use one of those silly systems. But it's really, really terrible what these people are doing. They don't build relationships. They often, in my, in my experience, especially over the last few years, they have a tendency to call you about jobs that, that, that me, to call about jobs I'm overqualified for. I actually had these people reach out to me once about a janitor job, literally. They, they reached out to me about a job as a janitor and wanted to know if I was interested. Are you kidding me? 
it, it, it's just sad. And, and I know a lot of recruiters. I know a lot of great recruiters. I know a lot of people to put their heart and soul into the work that they do. They do try to build relationships instead of just sort of blindly and randomly trying to fill roles because they're going to get paid. And, and, and they do really fantastic work. I hate the fact that there's people out there that do things that make other recruiters look bad. They, there are people that do things that make people very intolerant toward recruiters and don't even want to hear from recruiters. If you don't, if you don't hit the nail on the head with them, some people just really get highly upset when they so much as hear from a recruiter. Tech systems will take the time to get to know you. They will take the time to find out what your interests truly are. They take the time to look at the qualifications that you bring to the table. I have, I, I think maybe once or twice I had somebody from tech systems present a job to me that was, I'm like, why are you even presenting this to me? But I, I'm only saying that on a hunch. I, I can't really remember. I almost want to say that tech systems has never presented a job to me that was not in my wheelhouse. And and I really, really appreciate that. It's really nice to engage with a recruiter and have them respect you. So that's just really fantastic stuff. So so shout out to the folks at Tech Systems. If anybody is interested, those of you that are new in UX, a lot of times trying to find a first gig, it's a tough go. We're going to be addressing that, and, and I'm going to tell you now, we may have to split this into two weeks because I got so many questions, but if you're looking for a new job, sometimes going through a, a recruiting agency may be a way to go. It, you may as well have somebody working for you to try to help you find something, and, and sometimes companies that are looking for entry-level people, sometimes it will go through a recruiting agency because They'd rather have some help doing it instead of trying to do it internally because a lot of companies know that they don't know how to recruit for UX. So getting some assistance is fantastic. So Tech Systems is one you can reach out to. Another agency that I want to give a shout out to for the same reasons. They they vet out the, the jobs. They do a great job building relationships. They know what it takes to get in the weeds and get things done to make sure to find a proper match for, for employers and to try to find something that you, that matches what you want as an employee. They bend over backwards. I've seen them do it over and over and over again. This is, and this is a company name that many of you are not going to be aware of. And the company is gravity it resources. I love these folks. When I was a hiring manager at another company, the work that they put into helping me to find people was just, it, it was second to none. Our only, only, uh, the only folks that come close there, almost neck and neck, was Tech Systems. And, and I love, I just talked to the folks at Gravity IT last week, just, just, just keeping up with things, checking to see if there's anything they can do for me in the current role that I'm in and just just chewing the fat, just keeping up with things, just want to be aware, want to understand what's going on, but taking time out of their schedule to do the legwork that it takes to excel at what they do as recruiters. I have referred people to them. I have referred entry-level people to them and they took the time to talk to them, to understand what they bring to the table and giving them the people guidance 
to help them in their job search. So please, folks, Gravity IT Resources is worth your time. It is a great company. Tech Systems is a great company. I highly recommend both of these. And folks, I'm cutting it off there. I'm not going to to recommend anyone else. Not at this time. There, there is a company. I'll give you, okay, I'll give you an honorable mention. I do like Apex Systems. I do like Apex Systems. I like the work that they put into it. They do the same things, such as Tech Systems and Gravity IT Resources, but just Tech and, and Gravity just stand out to me. So there's your two, and Apex is honorable mention and we'll leave it at that i'm not there are other people some folks will probably hear this and be shocked some people who work at other places at other recruiting houses and have talked with me in the past might be shocked because i did not mention them oh well you know that's just the way it goes for now but those are the ones that i'm leaving on record on my podcast that i am endorsing and encouraging people to reach out and connect with next question Someone says, and it's more of a statement and a request, and I'm going to touch on this one because this is going to take a whole show, number one, to address what this person said. And also, there is, I've talked about this from time to time, either on social media, on other episodes, but I don't think we've dedicated an entire show to this. But someone wrote and they said, I think you should do a brutally honest episode about what to expect as a junior UX designer because a lot of people are being blindsided. This person has a heart for the juniors and, and, and reached out to me on their behalf, basically. They said they're blindsided when their entitlement and boot camp lies. <laughs> I'm reading exactly what they said, folks. When they get slapped with the truth of the industry, when they run smack dab into what's going on, this person doesn't like seeing what happens to them and feels it would be a great service to new UXers to provide them with this type of information. So again, I do talk about this a lot. I have talked about this on different episodes, but yeah, to, to have a dedicated episode where we talk about this, I'm all for that. What I will say, I thought I'd read it and just to share something really quick here is that folks, those of you who are new to UX, those of you who are struggling to find that first job, those of you who've gone through boot camps or some type of some type of learn you have some type of learning experience that is less than something that would be equivalent to the or you just didn't go through a degreed program or uh, um, um, a program through a higher learning institution, a college or a university. When you go through some of these shorter programs through MOOCs or some other folks, the only one that I know about, and I'll give a shout out here to Michelle Ronson over at Curiosity Tank. She does training and it strictly focuses on UX research. Her, her program is fantastic. And so for those of you looking for a good way to learn about research and you can't or don't want to spend the money on the universities, I highly endorse Curiosity Tank. It's worth it. It's it's not, they have on-demand content as well as a, a cohort. You can, you can enroll to go through a cohort for X amount of time. And when you go through something like that, there's a lot to be picked up on, a lot to be learned, but it's the accountability, it's the structure. And she's not trying to rush people through the learning process. But anyway, this is not about education, so I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. When people go through some of these shorter 
programs, the ones that are actually predatory, they're preying on the fact that they know that you want to learn. They know that you don't want to pay college tuition uh, figures. They know that you're anxious to get something quickly. And so when these types of things happen, when a person has that type of a, a, a goal set of goals in mind, I should say, uh, they're, they're, that's predatory. They're coming to you and then they give you a bunch of promises. They promise you you'll find a job. They promise you, they, they tell you that it's easy. They tell you that you're going to learn everything you need to know about UX in X amount of time. There's this whole parade of lies. This person said it well. There's a parade of lies that people are sold. And then you go through the program, usually anywhere from six to nine months, usually. And then you go out to get a job. You struggle to get a job. You get a job and it's nothing like what they what they told you it was. And so please know and understand that working in UX is far different than the way people present it. It is a tough job. It does take thick skin. You are not likely to have the thick skin initially. That is highly unlikely. It is, uh, oh, and I should mention this, it's going to come up again later, but there is a shortage of, not only is there a shortage, let me back up, not only is there a shortage of entry-level UX jobs, there's a shortage of entry-level jobs in practically every field. So the fact that there's a shortage of entry-level UX jobs is not unique to UX. There are a lot of companies to hire someone in an entry-level position is actually going to cost the company because it's X amount of time, and I have said this before on the podcast, it takes X amount of time for a person to, to reach a point at which they start to drive value and that the investment in that person, that the company starts to see a return on that investment in bringing the person on board in, in the first place. So, that's why a lot of companies, I mean, think about it. You're entering a field that requires empathy, seeing things from someone else's perspectives in order to excel. It's ironic and interesting that people trying to get into UX, a lot of newer people do not empathize with the companies that are hiring them. You, it, it, it behooves us to see things from the hiring company's perspective. And when you do... It, it should slow our roll a little bit. And, and oh, I can't find something. They got to hire me. They should bring me in. I can help them. Sort of. That's bias talking. <laughs> That's bias talking. And it, it's not being spoken from a perspective of level-headedness. And folks, it, it's when the entry-level person comes in, Everybody who comes in, no matter what level of seniority we're at, we have to learn the company, we have to learn the culture, we have to learn the rules of engagement, and we have to understand how to navigate in that environment. We have to find out what brings value, what doesn't. We have to try to find out how people work, how, what's the best way they like to work, and then and try to figure out how you fit in that. And that's no matter what level you're at. When you're at entry level, you have to learn all of that, and they've got to hold your hand and they've got to train you to do things, and they have to double back and check everything that you do. There, there's a lot of things that people have to do when they bring in an entry-level person, and a lot of entry-level people speak as if a crime has been committed when they're not being hired 
or when the, the market doesn't just blow up and half the positions are entry level. That makes zero sense from a business perspective. So we need to understand that. We need to embrace that. We need to recognize it because it's just the truth. It's just how things are. So let's make sure that we are willing to understand that. Entry-level opportunities do come up. They will come up. The question is, are you ready when they do? You have to spend your time getting ready for your opportunity instead of sitting around and complaining about what's not available because that's what a lot of people are doing, folks. They're, they're busy complaining about what's not available when the truth of the matter is, if, if a bunch of companies opened up, a thousand entry-level UX jobs, not going to happen, just trying to make a point. Would you even fit into any of those positions? And even if you did, do you realize, and I believe we talked about this last week or recently, it's a competition where you're trying to get a position, no matter what level of seniority it's, it's asking for, every job for, in the world is basically a competition. So it's not just you. You're not the only person trying to get that job. There are other people, and everybody who is going after that job brings something different to the table, and now the people who are hiring have to digest what everybody brings to the table and hopefully try to make the best decision possible for their team. Is that what happens? No, that's just what should happen. A lot of companies flat out don't know how to hire for UX, folks, and so that's going to complicate matters even more so. But... Just wanted to call all those things out. So there's a little bit that I'll share about the statement that was made. Great statement, and thanks to uh, both for both of those folks. Number three, and you know, I think we're going to end this here. Maybe we'll split this into three weeks, uh, but I'm going to end it here. I'm going to keep this brief today. Number three, it says, it seems from my experience, and it's speaking to others, that UX hiring managers want in-depth case studies talking about what a person presents when they're trying to get a job. But many recruiters and screeners, it seemed like they want to see polished UI on a portfolio. So the hiring managers want one thing, but the recruiters and the screeners are looking for something completely different. So the person goes on to say, why is there this disconnect? And how can we move away from UX UI and the misnomer that UX is just UI or graphic design. So very clearly stated, very astutely stated, this is a problem. We have been talking about this. I think I talked about this with a couple of guests already. We're going to have more guests later before we finish the series. The main contributing factor to this and why there's a disconnect has to do with UX maturity. If an organization lacks UX maturity or they have a low UX maturity level, that impacts the work, it impacts how the team is structured, it impacts the hiring process, it impacts a whole lot of different things. And so there will automatically be disconnects from the hiring manager to the team members to the recruiters. Nobody is on the same page and everybody has a different agenda also in these situations. And so when everybody has a different agenda, it's going to be all over the place and it's going to be wild. It's going to be crazy. And so the candidates are trying to come in and present themselves, hopefully the best way they can, but it's not going to be digested properly. 
if the people that the candidate happens to be encountering Every time they interact with somebody, that person doesn't really know what's going on or they don't understand UX the way that they should or don't understand how somebody, a new person, might fit into the team. I mean, look at the job descriptions. Job descriptions are terrible today. They're very seldom, very seldom is a job description written in a way that it communicates properly to the candidate. A lot of job descriptions are written very poorly. A lot of job descriptions are written by people who have absolutely no idea what to put in the posting. So they go out the glass door, they go out the LinkedIn, they go out to Indeed, they look at other job postings and they will literally copy it with and, and then make minor tweaks to what they got from the other job posting, having absolutely no idea whatsoever, no idea whatsoever that the person who may have written that other posting doesn't understand what's going on. <laughs> and, and they did the same thing. And so now it gets compounded. The, the, the malpractice, if you will, in the writing uh, of the formulation of the job posting gets handed from one person to another, and it just becomes a big, a big, a big mess. So in a lot of cases, the disconnect is, is just there. It's just there. Sometimes the recruiters and the screeners may have more of an understanding of what they're looking for from a UX perspective and how to screen people than the hiring manager because a lot of companies hire folks who have no idea what UX is, who have no passion for the discipline, no understanding of the discipline, no dedication to the discipline. And when you have a person who's just there and they're getting a check and they're happy about that check, but they don't care about anything else, when that person is 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 involved at any part of the process, whether they're a recruiter, a screener, or a hiring manager, or even an interviewer, everything's going to fall apart. It, it, it's like the weak link in the chain, and the chain's going to break whenever that happens. Unfortunately, it is extremely common, and it's pretty much, I mean, we're, we're talking about this being a decade or two away from getting resolved to, to the extent that you can rest when you are applying for a position with a company. It, it, it is likely to happen probably eight or nine out of 10 times. I feel better saying eight. Eight out of 10 times as a candidate, you and I have absolutely no idea what we're about to get into when you start the recruiting process. Absolutely no idea. You don't know, is there a weak link in the chain of people involved in the position that you are applying for. It is highly likely, whether it's the recruiter, whether it's an interviewer, uh, whether it, it is the hiring manager, whether it's the leader who who signed off on allowing for the job posting to, ever, to even go up. Folks, it's wild. It is the wild, wild west. And so then we have to be as sharp as we can so that we can navigate it because the things that even happen during the interviewing process, it, it's, it's, I'm telling my age when I say this, it's very Keystone Cops oriented. There's a lot of slapstick, a lot of really weird things that are going on that nobody can explain. And, and it's sad because you're trying to, you're trying to further your livelihood based on, quicksand you're 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 trying to build a house on quicksand 
And that's not a good place to build your house. But that folks, that's really, that's what it is that we're, that we're trying to do. And, and um, you no, know, there's no other way to put it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to coddle anybody. It's wild. It's wild. And, and a lot of times, sadly, companies don't, they don't even know how to express to you that that's what's happening when you are, when you are talking to people. So you won't even get straight answers that things that will help you to make a sound decision, even during the interviewing process. So I'm just trying to let you know what's going on out there. All you can do is your absolute best. Nobody is safeguarded from this. Nobody is immune from it. It doesn't matter what level of seniority you're operating at. The, the things that that one can encounter during the job search process is, is, is practically earth shattering. So just making you aware of it and, and going back to the, the statement that's made, the disconnect is there. Uh, please beware when you're trying to put together a portfolio and then some people say something to you about your portfolio and then you run off immediately and make changes. And I, I, it's pretty much guaranteed. As soon as somebody else sees your portfolio, they're going to say something different. If you make changes every time somebody gives you feedback on your portfolio, you will find the never ending cycle of changes and you will find that every time you change it, you, you end up only appealing to the person who made the comments, but you don't appeal to the person to the next person who's going to see your portfolio. When you're putting together your portfolio, you should be telling a story. You should be talking about what role, what, what design problem you were solving, what role you played on the project. You need to be with your case study, include case studies, but be brief, be succinct. If you I've seen a lot of portfolios, I've reviewed a lot of portfolios in my day. And a lot of people present, they try to say every single solitary thing. You shouldn't do that. You should high level everything. You should have bulleted lists, not some long paragraph that looks like a soliloquy. It looks like a, almost looks like a 10 page paper that you wrote for school or something because nobody reads on the web. And that includes when they're looking at your content. So you need to present something that is scannable, that it makes your points simple make it do it simple do it quick if you're overly verbose you're indicating to many people the people who do have enough skill and acumen to digest things properly it indicates that you're arrogant so don't don't be overly verbose that's a way to eliminate uh yourself from from um from consideration in a position so make sure that you're simple Make sure that it's easy to digest. Make sure people can get through things the right way. Only talk about yourself. Don't talk about your team. They're not trying to interview your team. They're trying to interview you. So we don't need pictures of your team. We don't need the names of everybody else on your team. You can mention you were part of a team, but it's about you. This is a time for you to shine as a job candidate. So that's what you do. Now, when you approach it from that direction, oh, and I should also say, make sure that you talk about what, what the results were of the project, what you learned through the project, those types of things. If there are any hard data that you can share, such as any improvements, any numbers, any analytics that you can show the the impact 
of what came out of that project that you worked on, include that at the end of it. If you do that, you can appeal to anyone, and if somebody doesn't like it, then uh, then count yourself as 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 having escaped a problematic situation and move along. But you don't need to change your portfolio every time somebody gives you their two cents. That's a bad way to operate, and you're not going to have any peace if you go that way. On top of the fact that you're not really going to end up doing the right thing, and you are going to hurt yourself. So keep that in mind. So the disconnect is going to be for some time because people in the process just don't understand what's going on. And and so until everybody gets educated about UX, the disconnect will always be there. With regard to the UX UI, that helping people to drop the UX UI mindset or UI UX mindset is gonna happen one person at a time. With companies like, like Figma, and they do, and Adobe, and I know Adobe just bought Figma, but with companies like that always saying UX, UI, every time they do that, another 100 to 1,000 people embrace UX, UI, or it gets reinforced that it's okay to do that. This is what we're up against, so we can only help people to, to renounce that as a thing one person at a time. So again, we're talking about a very steep uphill battle in trying to address it. And I've been addressing it for years since a light bulb came on for me. And I just keep, again, addressing it one person at a time. But it's going to be a while, folks. So get ready for the long ride because that's, that's just the way things are. It's just the way things are. And those same people think that you are, many of them think that that UX is a graphic design discipline. The fact that product is taking over in a lot of places is not helping. And, and for the record, a lot of product design positions and operations, some of them are doing UX, pure UX, what I call pure UX, because I'm trying to differentiate now between pure UX and what is really a cult, the cult of UX is what I've started calling it. And when a lot of product companies, again, some of the people, I've had a product design job title before. It was a, a UX job. I did UX work. But there were a lot of people in that company that still looked at things from a UI perspective and they thought that all we did was do UI work. So you gotta be ready to even try to manage that within the organization that you're working in. So let's keep that in mind as well. But a lot of product jobs, this was nothing more than another attempt by a lot of people to strip down UX and make it something that it's not. And when in a, in a pure, true product situation, the users are not even taken into consideration, folks. And so when you try to do UX stuff in that kind of an environment, um, a lot of people don't embrace it. They don't want to hear what you have to say. You end up fighting a lot of more uphill battles, uh, things of that nature. And, and so a lot of product organizations, that's exactly what they do. So when you're trying to be user-centered in your process, the way that you approach the work, then now you've got to overcome this, you got to go against the grain because the grain of the company is going the direction of product. And all they care about is getting the greatest product out there. They don't care about, they're going to, <laughs> they don't know it, 
but they but they they don't really care about what the users have to say or how it impacts the users. They're just it's all about bias and genius oriented design. That's what a lot of product work is. And and so this is where we are. This is why if you want to do this kind of work, if you really want to be a UX professional, you have to be ready for the long haul, folks. You have to be patient. You have to have the thick skin. You have to be ready to push yourself forward uh, and, and do the right things. What, what, when I say that, that's what I mean. Push yourself forward by doing the right things. Maintain your course of action. Continue to do things the way that they should be done, uh, which means that you have to manage your own personal UX maturity in a proper light. Otherwise, you'll get caught up in the whirlwinds of product. You'll become an order taker, which is what a lot of product designers are. They're just order takers. They, they really don't. <laughs> they don't know what it is to, to actually advocate for users and try to find the sweet spot between business needs, user needs, and constraints. They just do whatever somebody tells them. And, and so the company loses, the users lose, you lose as an individual, the discipline loses. That This product, again, it's nothing but another form of the UX being under siege that I started talking about in 2011. And so I'm going to continue to fight the good fight. I hope other people will as well. So folks, those are the first three questions. Dynamite questions, folks. Thank you again for providing those. And we're going to spend them. Oh my goodness. Yeah, this is going to take three weeks <laughs> to get through. I, I, I don't know why I thought I was going to be able to get through this in one week. And this has been roughly 40 minutes so far, you know, about uh, about 35 of it. We're covering the questions. But folks, we're going to cut it off here. So that is all the time we have for today. Thank you, everyone, for your contributions. Thank you, those of you who took the time to listen to the show. Thank you to those of you who are telling people, folks, truth needs to go viral. How about that? What, what a novel idea there. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you for supporting the podcast. And join me next week as I continue going through these questions. So, again, folks, that's all the time we have for today. So, this is Darren Hood the host of The World of UX, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered, CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.